So pet peeves in politics. So that was Paul Jacob telling me what we're going to call this episode of This Week in Common Sense. Pet peeves in politics. Seems reasonable. But after he told me that, I confessed to him that this week had gone by so fast that I sort of forgot most of what he wrote on thisiscommonsense.org this week. Well, what did he say in response? Yeah, he didn't seem so peeved. We're in kind of hyperspeed, and of course, as we tape this, we just found out that uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Supreme Court Justice, passed away today, and I think it was today, the announcement was today, and uh, so, ooh, that's, uh, that sure enters, uh, you know, kind of uh, makes that Supreme Court issue a huge issue in this election. Um, I think it already, you know, is always a big issue. If anybody who's paying attention to politics and the power of the court, that is, uh, you know, it's it's so many decisions with political, you know, uh, blocks and and uh, Congress kind of always passing the buck. So many decisions are made in the courts, and um, so it'll be it'll be very interesting and. Uh, We'll see what we'll we'll see what happens. I I certainly think um, I mean, my first thought was, my goodness, the bullet we dodged in 2016, not electing Hillary Clinton president is now a three Supreme Court justice uh, bullet. So uh, that's a good one to have dodged. So I have actually question about the politics of this. If I were in the Senate, since it's the Senate who puts the thing through, and the Republicans kind of own the Senate, right? Well, no, 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 no don't, they don't own the Senate, of course. They, uh, what's, what will happen here is they will, you know, they, they might attempt to filibuster, but of course the filibuster has been pulled back on Supreme Court nominations. I believe it's on Supreme Court, but if necessary, they will get rid of the filibuster. Uh, Democrats years ago got rid of parts of the filibuster and if I remember correctly, uh, I'm getting old. I have to always <laughs> preface everything with I may be going crazy and not remember anything. But uh, but anyway, uh, I believe that the Democrats uh, pulled away the, the filibuster saying you can't filibuster uh, judicial nominations except for the Supreme Court. And then I believe the uh, the Republicans pulled it back on that. I may be wrong there, but if need be, I think the Republicans will the, the filibuster is just a rule in the Senate. So the majority party can repeal that rule without minority party votes and uh, and might do it on this. And and frankly, I'd like it to be something other than a rule. I'd like that not to be the case. I'd like the American people to decide whether we want the Senate to have a filibuster and give the Senate a filibuster if we want them to have it and not allow them to have it if we don't want them to have it instead of allowing kind of the politics to slap back and forth like a pendulum. And, um, you know, it, it's, it, it creates kind of this, now I'm in, I'm going to grab some power. And I think we want to, I think we want to set our government in such ways that any power grabbing, you, you guys need to come to us and not, you know, not just muster a majority of votes in the, in the Congress. Well, the filibuster rule has been batted back and forth and taken down for the last several years. And Democrats recently have, uh, was, is it Elizabeth Warren or somebody big in the candidacy for the presidency this year, uh, was advising just to get rid of it entirely. 
There has been some talk about that. And there's been and and uh, uh, I remember at one point Trump saying to Republicans, if they try to block, you know, on on something, and it may have been the Supreme Court. That's why I'm thinking I could be wrong that they haven't, that they still have some sort of filibuster there. Although you would have thought if they had it, they would have used it on uh, on Kavanaugh. So uh, anyway, I'm not sure what the what the reality is, what the what the law actually is and or what the rule is at this point. It's not a law. But um, I think anyway, you slice it. Republicans can if if. If there is a filibuster, they can overturn it by a simple rule change and will do so, likely. And I think you'll see a lot of people arguing, hey, uh, you didn't let Merrick Garland, uh, his nomination, go forward when Obama was president because it was an election year, supposedly. And I heard somebody talking today about how, well, no, the problem there was that it was two separate parties, um, whereas this time the Senate and the president is the same party. But of course, what that really says is, no, uh, we had the power to stop you, and now you don't have the power to stop us. And it just seems to me, I, I, I actually called for Republicans to stop Merrick Garland uh, in 2016. I didn't call for them to do it by blocking hearings and other things. I would have brought him through the hearings. I would have voted him down. And I would have made it clear to Obama that unless you're picking someone we really, really like, which means you might not like him so much, we're going to vote him down. That's it seems to me that's how you do it. You don't do it in some phony way where you block it. But, of course, you know, it's legal what they did. It's not, you know, it's not like horribly unethical or something. It just seems to me that it's it's better politics and it's better government if you hold open votes and. And are clear we're voting against this person because we don't think it'll be a good justice. Uh, but anyway, at this point, of course, um, you know, I think and I'm shocked, frankly, uh, uh, at least a little bit. But uh, Donald Trump has uh, is the only Republican uh, president who has nominated 100 percent people who Republicans are pretty happy with. I mean, Reagan didn't do it. He, he got Kennedy. It seems like there was somebody else. Uh, well, and in fact, O'Connor, who who Reagan picked, was, you know, was a little little mixed uh, in terms of her decisions, and and uh, and then you have Souter and others. You know, Republicans have just made some really lousy picks. Uh, John Roberts comes to mind, George W. Bush, and uh, Kavanaugh, and especially Gorsuch. Uh, you know, I think I think Gorsuch is the best justice. I think Kavanaugh is, you know, maybe the fourth best, maybe the third best, but. Uh, it's a relative sort of thing. <laughs> and uh, but but again, um, you know, I, I hope Trump nominates someone. They don't have to do it by Election Day, but I hope they nominate someone and uh, and put them on the court. And they may want to do it by Election Day. So it can't be said it was done by a, a lame duck Congress. So that's the idea, because I was wondering, would it be better to do it before or after the election? Well, you could do it either way legally. I right. think. Politically, but, you're going to get all kinds of media storm and Democrats screaming. And there's there's a reality to American politics that I think there's a, a kind of a core feeling we all have that we would just like them to leave us alone. We've kind of we've kind of fashioned a life out of this world and we just generally don't want the government to screw it up. And so whoever seems to be on offense 
is immediately on defense because the country doesn't like politicians on offense, frankly. And and so I think it has a has kind of a, a tendency in that way to hurt Republicans, to energize Democrats who say, oh, my goodness, this is why we got to get rid of Trump. And maybe Republicans say, well, we got our Supreme Court justice. Everything's going fine. I'm feeling pretty good. Oh, I was feeling so good. I forgot to get to the polls. Um, so, it, you know, it's it's hard to know exactly how it how it works out. I do think uh, picking a good justice uh, who can't be demonized, which means a woman. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just putting it out there. It well, ex- she except, is female. Well, there's a problem. This actually leads into Friday's piece. Hairdo don't, <laughs> because you can demonize some women, as you pointed out. That's right. That's right. You can't demonize women as a gender, as a sex, the generally, like if they're white. You can demonize them, and and uh, you know I'm I was we were kidding earlier that maybe we should call this you know pet peeves or something uh, pet peeves in politics, but uh, uh, which of course maybe is what we'll call it. But but it's I've I've heard this Karen thing, and I'm a little slow to these things. You know, the first time I mentioned it to my wife, she's like, well, I've heard that a zillion years ago. I mean, she always it, you're way behind, Paul. And I, a lot of times I am on these kind of things. Um, but as soon as I heard it, I thought, you know, this is emblematic of where we are as a society, that we have all kinds of rules, you know, don't be mean to people, which, you know, is OK. And and the problem is that sometimes you take things like a joke, you know, Don Rickles would be out in, in this day and age. And a lot of people would. And I think people were better able to laugh at themselves years ago than they are today. But if there's any good that would come out of this hypersensitivity to any offense, it would be not being offensive all the time. And yet then folks slap this Karen label. And, you know, we all know Karen's. I've I've never kind of thought, boy, Karen's, everyone else in the whole world, male, female, every race, they're wonderful, except the people named Karen. That's the problem with the human race. So, but it, but it seems like at the end of the day, as we point out in this commentary, uh, quoting, uh, what was her name with, with the Atlantic, uh, Helen Lewis, who points out Karen's, this is a direct quote, Karen's are most definitely white. Let that ease your conscience if you were beginning to wonder whether the meme was perhaps a little bit sexist in identifying various universal negative behaviors and attributing them exclusively to women. And of course, that's the bottom line here. All of this is universal. You know what? Almost everybody has gotten a little bossy at one time in their life. Or they've, or they've had a bad haircut. The thing that I think we had the most fun with with this, Tim, was this like weird fixation on some, what is it, bob cut hairstyle? And of course, I don't even know what that is. And another was bowl cut. I, what is this, like a Beatles haircut for women or something? But it's like, really? Because they were talking about Karen's as, you know, racist and bad haircut. And I, you know, I'm just thinking... Uh, one of those things is not like the other one, you know, it's, it's, but it, 
it is this at the same time that we're going to be hypersensitive and try to make political correctness ruin every joke ever told. We are going to make it A-OK to make fun of certain people. To make as long as they're white people, we can make fun of them. And you know, that I think is a big problem. It is it changes the nature of our culture. That's just do not let these things go. I remember uh, several years ago thinking, you know, I'm just tired of hearing anti-white comments. I'm tired of hearing anti-male comments. Look, I know there's plenty of white people who aren't the greatest folks ever. Uh, and, and trust me, I know that anytime I'm defending the male sex, I'm, you know, I, I have to. I have to go in knowing a lot of things that it's like a lawyer who goes in and knows, oh, my client may not be guilty of this one. <laughs> but anyway, I'm kind of joking there. But it's it's uh, it's not OK to. To put people down because of their race, their sex, their haircut, if somebody is a racist then call them a racist, if someone is a jerk, or I mentioned in this that there's another five-letter word other than Karen that women might get called a lot that's, that would be appropriate in some of these instances, and there's a, 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 a similar word for men in the same sort of behavior. So, you know, uh, and maybe we could combine them, you know, for, for unisex people, but it's, there are words to be used. This is a... It's okay. You can be a little racist as long as it's against white people. And that, it doesn't work. You can't have a non-racist, healthy society where you permit certain racism and unhealthiness to grow and, and metastasize. And that's, uh, you know, so this little Karen thing is not just a you know, a, a, a little throwaway, a little thing to be read in the Urban Dictionary, which also mentioned the bad haircut, uh, that Karens have bad haircuts. Uh, it's, it's bigger than that. And, uh, and ought to, I'm glad we called it out. There's an element that actually bugs me that I forgot all about as we were putting that piece to bed. Um, and that is, it's a generational thing too. It really does identify late baby boomers and Gen Xer women. It's just a kind of woman. You know, every generation does kind of have a dominant style that we all identify. But generationism really does bug me. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And and it's not that there's something to it. Um, and you can talk about it as if there's some semblance of something there. But you can't talk about it in in a way where you're where you're starting to define people in this way. Um, you know, very few people, you know, some people are a little rougher or bossier or this or that than others. Um, but, you know, if you know people, you know that that, you know, people have all of these different good and bad traits at one point or another. And, you know, it's just it's. Again, it seems that we want to we want to be able to, like, slap at people. And why? Why do we have to? Why do we have to slap? Why do there? Ha why does there have to be this somehow? 
all these people who are of a certain type when we know that that's that's not true. One of the problems with anti-racism and anti-sexism as causes is that most people at some point want to be racist and sexist. So when you take it as a cause and you identify the most downtrodden, then the people who fall outside that category of the downtrodden or the, the oppressed, then they're fair game to, to, to revive that kind of racism or sexism. I mean, I think, it's just, I think it's just natural because people really do want to be racist and sexist. And, you know, maybe a little well, bit goes I- a long way. And, and you may mean it that way, but I think I think what you're talking about is this. Um, we do have a tendency to want to label things and be able to talk about things without specificity. Um, and then, you know, the problem with that is that sometimes leads to doing all kinds of things without specificity um, of thought. And, you know, but I think it's I think that's different than. Usually when people are talking about racism or sexism, it's like my problem with the word misogyny, um, a hatred of women. Uh, there's some and, and, and there are times where you can make a definition of it that fits that. But it's not always, you know, if, if you hate people of a certain race, you're a racist. Um, if you use shorthand and and stereotypes and categories to make lots of decisions, well, you're going to come down in ways that turn out to be racially biased and, and kind of stupid, uh, doesn't mean you're a racist. You know, I wouldn't necessarily call that person a racist. Um, but again, it's not good. And it seems like you, you point out something that it's like the more we get fixated on solving racism and making it such a focus, now all of a sudden everything's race. And that's, you know, what we were trying to get away from. Yeah, I think you put that one to bed. Uh, th- <laughs> I've known a number of Karens, and not one of them is a Karen. <laughs> and not one of them is this definition? Exactly. You broke up just a little bit. Okay, yeah. yeah. No, not me neither. Me neither. I, I know several Karens, and they don't fit this. But, uh, but of course, I, you know, well, anyway, let's, <laughs> this one's to bed. And okay. stay asleep. Uh, that's pet peeve number one. Here's pet peeve number two. And it is a big pet peeve for me. Uh, There are two issues on the ballot in Arkansas. And I talked about that on Monday. In Lifetime Politicians Ruin Christmas. I'd like that title uh, because it combines the two initiatives, or the two, not initiatives, the legislature put both of them on the ballot. Uh, The Arkansas legislature is perhaps the worst legislature in the entire world. Uh, They have for the last 10 years, uh, virtually 10 years, uh, done nothing every session except attempt to gut term limits and destroy the initiative process whereby citizens would petition something like term limits and other reforms that are desperately needed in Arkansas onto the ballot. Well, this year they come with two measures. Years ago, uh, and I, you know, if you're a longtime reader, you've, you've, you know all about it because I wrote a, a zillion uh, different commentaries about it. But legislators put on a ballot measure, issue three, back in 2014. They use the same names, issue, and the same numbers all the time, which is very confusing. And it doesn't bother to mention to people that it's a constitutional amendment. It just says issue. These are all changes the legislature has made to, to make the process worse. 
but uh, but in 2014, this ballot measure completely dishonestly worded. The first wording was that it blocks lobbyists from giving gifts to politicians. Turns out not to be true. They can give all kinds of gifts. They can buy almost every meal is now purchased for legislators by lobbyists if they want it. Um, So complete lie. Uh, It also engineered this new commission that gave legislators 150% 150 pay raise. And of course, that commission was appointed, at least the majority of it, by the legislature, the legislative leaders. Uh, This is the sort of stuff they did. But they also changed term limits and they didn't bother to mention they were changing it. They just said they were enacting term limits. They changed a six-year House limit and an eight-year Senate limit, both lifetime limits, into a 16-year overall limit. The 16-year, because of certain ways it was written and the way the Arkansas law is, allows some people in the Senate to serve actually 22 years. That's the current system. They've come now with a new initiative, Issue 2, which actually lowers the years. Surprise, surprise lowers the years to 12. But get this, stay with me. They end the lifetime limit. So now, and they grandfather all the legislators. All the legislators who've been in or who get elected this year are grandfathered so they can serve 16 years and then take a break and serve 12 more years. So if you're a legislator who voted for this, and almost all of them did, to put it on the ballot, see if we can trick people again, this is, you present it as we're shortening the limit. What you've really done is to say, not only do I get to serve the 16 years, which we hoodwinked the voters out of, but now I take a short break, I can come back for 12 more. That's 28 years. Oh, and if you take a break after that, and you're a young enough person when you start, you can serve another 12 years. So in, in essence, you could serve something on the order of 40 plus years in a 50-year period. This is why the term limit, the actual citizens who are pushing to restore the term limits that once existed, passed in 1992 and uh, screwed up in 2014, They've called this the lifetime politician amendment, but it's combined with a measure that makes it tougher to put measures on the ballot. It takes away a grace period, which I didn't mention in the commentary at thisiscommonsense.org, but it takes away a grace period, which is you can turn in signatures, and if you have more than enough uh, to qualify, but you're short, you know, some of them turn out not to be good, you can go back out and get more. Uh, it's a good system, especially for grassroots efforts that, you know, don't have millions of dollars to, you know, have thousands of people checking all the signatures. You know, the, the, the better healed special interests, almost any restriction you put in their, their way, they're going to write a big enough check to get over that hurdle. The hurdles kill grassroots efforts, though, because they just don't have the people to write big checks and get over that. They're not in government for a profit, for their livelihood. They're citizens and they're trying to reform their government and they don't have, you know, usually big war chests to do it with. So um, getting rid of that grace period uh, or the cure period is sometimes called in some states uh, is a terrible thing. The upside of it is only, as was said in this commentary, 
that it'll make it tougher for people to put things on the ballot. If you hate the idea of someone putting something on the ballot and us getting to vote on it, well, then you would like issue three, which tries to destroy further the petition process. But the other thing that issue three does in destroying the petition process is to push the deadline back away from sunny July and to cold, dark January. That means six months less of petitioning. It means petitioning instead of in warm weather months, in very cold weather months. And it means swamping the malls and the stores and getting in the way as best as you can to get signatures during the Christmas season. So I'm dubbing issue three, the ruined Christmas amendment. And if you put issue three, issue two and issue three together, what do you have? You've got the lifetime politicians ruined Christmas amendments. So there you have it. This is, uh, um, you know, in in Arkansas, there have uh, there there have been battles to put things on the on the ballot uh, in 2018. As I mentioned in the commentary, uh, citizens put a measure on the ballot. The court came and threw it off afterwards by throwing out literally tens of thousands of signatures by registered voters that were valid, but because of some hyper-technical challenge, the court decided to throw it off in a narrow four to three ruling. And that was, you know, their goalkeeping for the legislature there. But, um, but this year, every effort to put something on the ballot was defeated by lawsuits and all these completely cumbersome rules. Back in 2010, Citizens in Charge group I work with did a uh, report card grading every state on the initiative process. I believe Arkansas came in third place, had a B plus, A minus, something like that. Uh, excellent process. Few little things that could have been improved. Now I think it would be close to a D or an F. Uh, they have just session after session passed restriction after restriction. Um, why? Because they don't believe in democracy. They believe in them being in charge. And, um, you know, and I've been to state capitals. I hear more and more how these are decisions that really should be made by legislators and not the people. And my view is every decision the people want to make ought to be made by the people. And legislators ought to decide the issues that people decide they should decide. They work for us. We've lost any conception of that as reality. And uh, Arkansas is the worst, most egregious example. I hope both of these things go down to defeat. Uh, but it's, you know, it's tough. There's not a lot of money to campaign against them. And, um, and they're worded. If you look at the wording, I didn't address it in this piece. I probably will later on. But if you look at the wording that's on the ballot, <coughs> it tells you almost zero as to what it actually does. And if citizens petition a measure onto the ballot, they have to tell everything it does. They have to be very comprehensive and clear and not leave anything out. They can be sued up until Election Day to throw it off the ballot, not to change the wording to make it accurate, but to literally take all your work and throw it away if a judge decides that ballot title isn't perfect. But when the legislature puts something on the ballot, 
they can write the title any way they feel like. Any way they feel like, give the voters just zero, zero information. And that's what they've done on both issue two and issue three. Um, and it, it just happens again and again that when you think of the election processes, my experience has been that the people working at the polls are the salt of the earth, that with a few obnoxious exceptions, uh, secretaries of state are hardworking, honest, caring public officials who try to get it right. We have every all the goodwill going on the election process, but the people who write the rules are politicians, and they write the rules for them and not for us. And it's just an area when you think about, like I think about this year where so many petitions were suing, trying to be able to do electronic signatures or some other way to deal with the pandemic. All of the electronic signatures, they should have been, we should have been able to do that 10 years ago or more. The only reason we can't do it, a judge in, in the Supreme Court in Utah years ago said, yes, they're perfectly valid. And the legislature within weeks had outlawed them. There's no reason we can't do electronic signatures. There's no reason we couldn't have done all kinds of things to make voting not only easier, but also more secure and to protect against the fraud that, of course, none of it ever exists, even though we keep seeing stories about, oh, here's fraud here, here's fraud there. And I'm not suggesting it's widespread or that it's controlling every election. I'm not, you know, screaming and running around like a chicken with his head cut off. But there is fraud. And it seems like we ought to address it. We don't have to go crazy about it. We just have to address it. But again, we live in a time in which, because that's a political issue, our media doesn't really cover fraud in elections. They can't cover it without telling us 57 times that it's not really important, which if it's not really important, why would you cover it? Um, so, you know, anyway, that's a, that's a, a long uh, rant to kind of say, again, the whole problem is we've got chickens guard, or foxes guarding the, the hen house. And, um, and it, it really, in a, in a pandemic, you see that uh, all the things that could have been done in recent years to make these processes easier and work more smartly. None of them have been done unless they served incumbents' interests. Well, that's a peeve we know you have. I don't think there's anybody who's ever read anything by you who didn't know you were peeved by politicians who won't obey the basic idea of Democratic-Republican contract, you might say. What's the peeve on Wednesday's piece, uh, down well, among the non-sequiturs? Is it just bad memes? Well, you know, it's it's interesting. I, I guess the peeve is people don't think things through. Even basic, basic stuff they don't think through. And, um, you know, this, this one meme, which... Uh, you know, usually, as we as I point out here, you don't generally attack someone who did a meme. You know, that's, you know, you attack the president, you attack the head of the U.N., you, you know, attack Xi Jinping or or the Democrats in Congress or the Republicans. You attract you attack the powerful and the things they do. But sometimes a meme can be powerful and especially a meme 
that says something that sort of might make sense and sort of might justify really reprehensible behavior, it needs to be called out. And the meme we're talking about, why, and you brought it to my attention, uh, why is murder an appropriate response to property damage, but property damage isn't an appropriate response to murder? Well, first of all, Murder is really not the first choice when someone does property damage. I hate to break it to you. I want all police to know that throughout the country and the world. And I'd like everyone else to also just take a moment to remind yourself that murder is not the, the best response to anything, really. Um, and then it's, it's um, you know, I, I guess... If someone is attacking your property, you know, the couple in St. Louis, there have been other cases where someone is attacked. There was the 17-year-old the in, in uh, Kenosha who will see when that goes to trial how much of his defense, I suspect about all of it, will be that he was there, he wasn't violent, he was attacked, and he feared for his life, and he responded. Um, but it's, again you can respond to violence against you and property damage, like someone smashing in your front door or smashing through your window, is not just property damage, it's kind of damage with possible other things to follow that you don't want to happen. And so, you know, of course you're justified um, to use force to defend yourself, not so much to defend your property, but that too, people aren't allowed to steal all your stuff. And if someone's stealing all your stuff and won't stop, you know, there are bad, bad consequences that can come from that. But the um, the other response is or the other, you know, the, of the three legged stool, the other the other um, uh, stool, whatever. What is it? Leg. There we go. Um, it's late. Uh, no, um, the uh, the other leg is that it property damage is not really a very good response to murder. It's, it, it's not a good response if someone was actually murdered. It's not a good response if someone might have been mur murdered by some public official, like a policeman, doing something he shouldn't have done. I mean, the policeman doing something he shouldn't have done. And it's probably uh, murder, you know, is not the right response even if the policeman, you know, either way, whether he did something wrong, I've gotten confused here, but whether he did something wrong or didn't do something wrong, that's not the proper response. And because, and if, in fact, you know, it'd be, it'd be one thing if somehow you found the policeman and you went and took, you know, his thermos and smashed it or something, you know, <laughs> but, but wouldn't it be better to have rules that stopped him or that put him in jail if he actually murdered someone than to destroy his thermos. And of course, they're not destroying, they're destroying a Starbucks. Starbucks didn't, Starbucks didn't do anything. They're destroying a auto supply store. They're destroying a bunch of people's property and livelihood and putting people out of work because someone else was murdered. I mean, that it, it makes no sense. And now that social media is such a big thing, it does. It is important for people to sometimes stand up 
because the easiest thing in the world is for everyone to like your friend's meme. But it, there are times to stand up and say, you know what? This is stupid. And this is justifying bad behavior. And, and look at it. In, <clears throat> in the case of Karen's, the, the idea behind it is that somehow they're, they're calling out people who are not you know, behaving well and they're keeping order in society. And here they want justice or whatever. In both cases, in the one case, they're justifying bad behavior in terms of being nasty to people. And in the other case, they're justifying their own looting and destruction of property that has nothing to do with anything. And these, these are being, you know, it's, it's not a bunch of criminals who are posting these memes. It's not a bunch of criminals who use the term Karen. It's regular folks. It's regular folks who are good people, I think, likely, and who we do want to reach. And we do want to get them to stop thinking this way. Because you think that way, oh my goodness, I mean, what could happen next? We, we could end up with a choice for president like uh, Biden-Trump. <laughs> yeah, and, and what would happen there? <laughs> I, I should mention that I misspoke. That was a Tuesday piece. That was uh, down among the non-secretaries. Okay. The Wednesday piece was no shock and awe. And the no shock and awe, we probably could do somewhat short shrift here in the sake of time in that the whole point of this piece is that we have leaders who have taken this rich, powerful, economic, strongman of America and have cut us off at our knees. Um, and, you know, it's, it's Trump has done it. Uh, Biden uh, is, is doing it and wants to, you know, raise taxes in all kinds of ways to do it, but not enough to pay for everything, of course. And Trump doesn't want to raise your taxes, but he's still spending everything. Um, our, somebody years ago, and I can't remember who it was now, came out and said, you know, the number one issue, maybe it was one of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, the number one I issue of our military might is the strength of our economy. And if you think you're going to be economically a basket case and, and be, you know, a, a country that's running around the world doing things, uh, you're sadly mistaken. The other aspect of this is in this pandemic, and we've talked about this countless times just in these last few months, the media has never asked where this money's coming from. We've just spent trillions, just trillions of dollars with very little accountability and with very few questions asked. And so it's, it's you know, for a long time, we were approaching, you know, the 100% uh, where, where our debt equals 100% of our gross domestic product in a given year. And uh, it's now over that because of this pandemic. So again, the lockdowns have put our completely wasteful overspending into overdrive. And, you know, this is something, and there's, there's no talk about there's going to be some sacrifice later. I'm sure that as soon as this is over, there's going to be some new reason to spend a zillion dollars. 
we will fail as a country. And, um, and it, it, there's an awful lot of poor people who did nothing wrong who will suffer uh, because, you know, we've had politicians who have been able to get away with giving away benefits that someone has to pay for later on. I mean, that's look, if, if you were a store and you got to get all your stuff, all your supplies without paying, you just said, look, we'll pay in 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 80 years after we're dead. Somebody else will pay. And you then sold them or gave them away. And I mean, that's what politicians are doing, in essence, is they're giving us all kinds of things without having to tax us for it because they're doing it on the credit card and they'll tax us later. And they'll tax our kids and our great grandkids. And, and of course, we don't topple overnight. There's all kinds of reasons. Um, but at some point, this can't continue. And especially you know, on steroids like it has been. Yeah. Um, my big worry has always been that, you know, people think that money is wealth. And so if you just spend more money, you are just creating something that's been a, that's been behind so much of the nonsense demanding, you know, the various bailouts and so forth. When new money is created by debt, it's wealth that we have now that's being distributed. So somehow, Wealth is on the line. And like you were saying, it, is it going to be taxed? Um, one of my fears is, is that uh, they're planning to do something to change everything. Have you heard of the, the Great Reset? Yes, yes. Some people are talking about that there's a plan or there are many plans or they're trying to figure out a way to just reshuffle everything. And Well, it, the, the, the wealth taxes are at least a little bite at that. And of course, could be ramped up to where all of a sudden these wealth taxes are expropriation of your wealth. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. we're not, we're no longer taxing the top 0.1%, uh, 0.01%. We're taxing the, maybe the top 5%. And we're not just taxing, we're taking everything you've got beyond a certain amount. And that's, you know, it, it's uh, when you talk about rich people as evil when you don't point out anything wrong they did other than to be successful you are setting the stage for some ugly ugly behavior and not behavior i, mean, I know some people will get get all in their revolutionary you know excitement but this is not behavior that helps the poor it is not behavior that helps the poor the Soviet Union didn't pull a lot of people out of poverty. Pol Pot did not create a wonderful society in Cambodia. And in fact, the society that seems to have created the most wealth and pulled the most people out of poverty and pulls the most people to its shores who want to go there instead of are trying to escape is the United States of America. And, and you know, it, it's funny because sometimes I feel like, you know, people are going, oh, well, you and your super patriotic, you know, you know I'm not a big flag waver. Uh, I do kind of believe that patriotism is, you know, the last vestige of the scoundrel or something like that. I probably got that messed up. But, uh, but you know, I, I don't, you know, it's not like America, love it or leave it. Let's criticize America all we want. But why would you 
pretend things that aren't true. I mean, it's just it's like in the Cold War. Um, I wouldn't justify what the United States was doing in Central America and in throughout mo most of the 20th century or all. And uh, uh, but that doesn't mean I thought that somehow the Soviet Union was better because we're bad. They have to be better or something. Um, and it's, you know, when you look, I look today at, I, I oftentimes we've done so much on China, the Chinazis and, and, uh, Hong Kong and so on. And, you know, I have people argue other, well, you know, it's just a different system. This is insanity. We just had an ambassador. He was an ambassador during, uh, George, uh, W. Bush and, uh, Obama, uh, Roy was ambassador to China come out and basically say that uh, that there was no genocide, that calling what's happening with the Uyghurs genocide is outrageous and stupid and foolish. Uh, at most, it's cultural genocide. <laughs> I'm, thinking, I'm thinking, oh, you've got a heck of an argument there, Ambassador. It's certainly not, it's not genocide. Oh, technically, yes. It's not genocide. They're not trying to kill every last man, woman, and child. It's just a certain kind of genocide. I feel I feel so much better now. Um, anyway, that's uh, uh, it. People people do not appreciate freedom nearly enough, and people will delude themselves. I think I think that uh, since Tiananmen Square. Uh, we have either deluded ourselves that somehow getting trading with China was going to free them, or we deluded ourselves into thinking that we could have this partner who was a totalitarian thug. And, you know, I, I kind of think of how much would we want to trade with the Nazis if they were still going? Um, well, it's, it just it strikes me as so much the same thing. They do the same things. They have concentration camps. And, and if, um, maybe I'll do something on this for next week. If they, you know, because the, the idea here is that they're, we're not actually gassing them. We're not torturing them that much. We just forcibly sterilize them or we do this. And it's like, I'm thinking, who talks about that as if that's somehow some difference you would care about? This is thuggery and tyranny and the sickest, most disgusting form of government you could possibly have let's not you know kind of discuss the fine points between you know stalin and hitler well you know they didn't stalin didn't starve 12 million people in the ukraine it was only 11.5 million so he really wasn't such a bad guy um i just it 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 just drives me crazy and to think that a former ambassador would be out there saying things that basically are pro-China, anti-U.S. Um, and it's it, to me, I have talked this whole time uh, during Trump's uh, time uh, about uh, Gorsuch being the number one argument for Trump. And I think that's probably still true. But I have to say that for me personally, more and more, the China issue uh, and his willingness to confront them. I don't know that he's confronted them in all the ways that I would want him to. I don't know what's in his heart or his head uh, half the time. 
Um, but I do know this. He has confronted the Chinese totalitarians in a way that no other American administration has. And they need to be confronted. We need to be realistic and real about who they are and what they're doing and, and take, take action. Well, I don't think your position on the Chinese is a peeve. I think it goes sort of transcends peeve. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm with you there. I'm with you there. Uh, on Thursday, you went from the frightening to the ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> despacito, desperation. Uh, I was calling it despacio, despacito. I've heard people who seem to know Spanish say despacito. Well, I never took Spanish. I took German, so I, I'm not going to pronounce it like a German. I took Spanish in high school, but it didn't quite take. I wish I would have paid better attention. But it, this is Joe Biden who um, picks this song. And, of course, it's this kind of sexy song. And somehow Joe Biden's people, <clears throat> they just have to work a little bit a little bit harder, you know, kind of Google a little bit more about different things. Um, but the real issue here is pandering and that we're just constantly pandered to. And of course, when Hillary Clinton, as I pointed out in this commentary, you know, in 2016, she goes on the breakfast club, the Charlemagne, the God, uh, is the, uh, is the guy who heads it up. Interesting name. Anyway, um, she went on and talked about it. If, if people, I'm sure you do remember because it was so just pathetic, but she talked about how she carries hot sauce with her in her purse, which, you know, all kinds of people carry stuff like hot sauce. I always think of like Monty, uh, Monty Hall and, the and, uh, what was that? Uh, let's make a deal. You know, he was always at the end of the show asking people, you know, who has hot sauce in their purse or something like that. Maybe, maybe it wasn't hot sauce. Maybe it was silver dollars. It's a different time than in America. But anyway, but, uh, but everyone knew just kind of instinctively she's lying that she doesn't Hillary Clinton. If she wanted hot, hot sauce, it wouldn't be in her purse. She'd have an aide who had all kinds of, who'd have to throw away different things in their purse so that they could carry extra hot sauce for Hillary. I mean, that's how, I, maybe not, maybe I'm wrong about Hillary. That's how it works with every other numbskull congressman or big shot in Washington. I can so, see Huma Abedin taking uh, hot sauce in her purse, in her third yeah. purse for Hillary. Huma, where's my, come on, come on, come on. Where's my hot sauce? Anyway. Joe Biden, you know, picking this song, it's just it's just silly. And the whole goal is to be relatable for them to know that you're just like them. And of course, what does it show? It shows that you're nothing like us because we don't pander to people all the time. And because I mean, think about someone who's going to be president of the United States or not in the case of Hillary Clinton, thank goodness. But think about what it says that that person thinks hot sauce is like really important to you as a Latino. And I just think that's, I mean, talk about just damning with kind of this view that, that, that their whole life is about, you know, the taco or something. Get real. And, and the same with, you know, Biden and uh, and, you know, instead of trying to suck up 
why don't you come up with some, hey, here's what good things I could do that would help you. Um, and I kind of hate it all aimed at Hispanics or blacks or women or, you know, why, couldn't you do stuff that would help everybody across the board? We'll just set, we'll set fair rules for everyone. Um, but it's, it's, uh, I don't like that, but it's interesting. I think this is a sign of how scared Biden is about the Hispanic vote. And especially, uh, Biden is doing pretty well in Florida. You know, Trump, I think, won it by a couple points, maybe a little bit more than a couple points in 2016. But it's been pretty solid for him in the sense that, you know, he he's done there well there all along. It's not a huge Republican majority, but it tends to be a Republican majority. They in 2018, when the country was going much more Democrat, <clears throat> Florida, DeSantos, uh, DeSantis as uh, governor was, uh, you know, was one close race, but one. So, uh, you know, Biden has it has been looking better, but the underbelly is that he's not doing very well with Hispanics. And there's a huge import uh, uh, influx of people from Puerto Rico because of the hurricane and all the problems in Puerto Rico. And so there are more Hispanic voters. They're a little bit bigger slice of the pie. And and yet. Trump is doing very, very well compared to a lot of Republicans uh, against Biden. And it'll be interesting to see if that happens other places. You know, it was a big surprise to folks that uh, Bernie Sanders did better among Hispanics than uh, than a lot of the other Democrats. Um, so interesting. We probably should reiterate the title, Despacito Desperation. And that's your point, is that he's getting desperate. And it, and it shows. Yes. And and. Um, you know, what's interesting is we've talked about the debate so much. And just be, before we kind of close the uh, uh, again this week, I was I can't remember who I was listening to. Uh, but on the radio, people were talking about after one debate, if Biden does all right, he may skip the other two debates or um, and frankly, and, and one of the hosts said something that I thought was really interesting. He said, you know, this guy, Biden has been in Washington for 47 years making policy, running for office, debating people, debating as vice president twice, national stage, debating, running for president several different times throughout his career. And Donald Trump, who's won, run for office one time, been on the debate stage with other Republicans and then his three debates with Hillary, but that the expectation is that if Biden somehow can end the debate without having a moment, kind of a deer in the headlights moment where he can't come up with words, that it's a victory for Biden. And he was just saying that, you know, that's so odd that here, that's Biden's whole life. I mean, Trump was a business guy. He was a reality TV, did different things. But, but debating political issues was not, was not what he was doing. And I thought, you know, that's that's absolutely right. And again, look at the expectations that get created. And in, in part because maybe the media wants those to be the expectations, but also in part because people do have. And it's interesting because you had it four years ago with Hillary Clinton and people ignoring 
different reports that she had slipped or she seemed to lose her place or, you know, whatever. It was just having different issues. And then there was the issue of her getting into the into the uh, limousine in New York where it looked like she fell and they kind of grabbed her. And 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 all of a sudden that that became a big deal. Well, with Biden, you know, those aren't those aren't just, you know, rumors that are being debunked until they are proven. We're debunking those until they prove to be true. And then we go, oh, shucks. But uh, but they're they're out there. Everybody sees it. And and of course, some people say, I hate Donald Trump enough. I'm going to vote for Biden anyway. And I think people who like Donald Trump are going to vote for him. And I think people in the middle, you know, if you're not sure at this point who you're voting for, the debates could be a big deal just in whether whether you think Biden is like cognitively all there. And I just, you know, I think, uh, you know, what is what is the rest of the world? Uh, it's like, uh, you know, we're we're we call ourselves. I don't. And I guess most of us probably don't call ourselves superpower. But uh, but that's the, the Washington. We're the world superpower that might elect somebody who's not quite there. And at least half the country believes we've already elected somebody who's not quite there. So isn't this fun? Pet peeves and, uh, and then just regular pathetic politics. This has been This Week in Common Sense for the second week of September 2020. My name is Timothy Verkula. I thank you for joining us. Please register your likes and click bells and all those kind of things on whatever platform you're viewing this on or listening to this on. We're on many podcatchers. We're on SoundCloud. We're on YouTube. Thanks for stopping by.